So I am going to dive right in because I had a lot of time to think in the last couple weeks, and I've had to uh, condense like an hour and a half message down to an hour. No, it's jokes. I got it down to like 35 minutes or so, but let's just dive right in. Um, I'm continuing the Let series that we've been in. Um, if you're new to our church, we've been doing this for a while now, and we've been looking at scripture that begins with let us or let, basically things that we are allowed to, that we want to be allow evident to be seen in our lives. Uh, Pastor John, I was watching him online last weekend, and he had like a really tough one to talk about last week, but this one, believe it or not, can be really tough too, especially when we start to understand what it looks like and the power that it really has in our lives and in the church. It's this word gentleness and how we can apply it to our lives and in our relationships. So let's take a look at the scripture. It's going to come up on the screen here just in a couple versions. So the first one, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And in the Amplified Version, let your gentleness, your graciousness, unselfishness, mercy, tolerance, and patience be known to all. The Lord is near. Philippians 4, 5. So you may not believe this, but there is much power in gentleness. Jesus himself talked about how much power there was in gentleness in a very familiar phrase you may have heard in the Beatitudes. And Jesus says this, Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the gentle, some versions say the meek, blessed are the gentle for they shall inherit the earth. So Jesus says that there's great power in gentleness. There's inherit the earth kind of power in gentleness. But if we're honest, it's a little bit hard for all of us to get this one. It's one of those truths in the Bible that I know a lot of people, including myself, struggle with. Because most of us believe that meek equals weak. Gentleness is the opposite of strength. Why would I want to be that? So before we take a look at gentleness, I need to, and, and how it like can affect our lives and our relationships, I just want to take a moment to explain the strength of gentleness. Because unless you and I start to see that, then the other part of this isn't really going to make much sense. So when we talk about the strength of gentleness, I want to start with God. Our God is powerfully gentle. Until we see how gentle God is, it's going to be very difficult for us to see what strength it can actually be in our lives. So there are many, many pictures of this in the Bible. They're filled with different pictures of it. But I'm going to give you one verse that I really like. So from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 10 to 11. Look, the Lord God is coming with power to rule all people. Look, he will bring reward for his people. He will have their payment with him. He takes care of his people like a shepherd. He gathers them like lambs in his arm, and he carries them close to him. He gently leads the mother of the lambs. So when you look at this, it says that God's coming with power. And it immediately says, how does he come with power? He comes like a shepherd who gently and tenderly and lovingly cares for the lamb. So our God is powerfully gentle. God is almighty, and yes, God could crush us, and many of us do things that are maybe crush-worthy. There's no doubt about that. But instead of crushing us, God loves us, tenderly guides us. He's patient with us. He waits for us. That's God's tenderness and gentleness and power. 
Now, if you read through the Bible, you're going to see again and again God meeting with people and showing this side of himself, how he is powerful and gentle at the same time, and how he deals with people with grace and love and kindness. But of all the many meetings that God has with his people, I think one of my favorites that I've held on to for a while is this meeting with Elijah. Elijah was a prophet of God who was exhausted, and he was discouraged, and God says that he wants to meet up with Elijah and to go out to this cave. I'm going to meet you there. I've got something to say to you, and look what happens. In 1 Kings 19, 11 to 13, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? The power of God's voice was in this gentle whisper. It wasn't in the fire. It wasn't in the earthquake. It wasn't in the mighty wind. It was in this gentle whisper. Because if you're anything like me, you don't need to hear God yelling at you. You've got plenty of people in your life that are probably doing that. You don't need to hear God yell at you. In fact, most of you probably spend more time yelling at ourselves, at yourself. You need to hear the power of God's gentle whisper. And you may need to hear that today. These are words I've had to hear many times in my life. You may need to hear exactly these words. What are you doing here? Maybe you're flirting with somebody that's not your husband, not your wife, just to build an ego. And maybe you need to hear God not yelling at you, but coming at you with a gentle whisper saying, what are you doing here? Maybe every day your life has begun to get caught up in bitterness over something that's maybe happened in the past, and it's eating you up inside. And you need to have God come to you with this gentle, loving whisper and say, what are you doing here? Or for some reason, maybe you've cut yourself off from every relationship, and you're feeling lonely and alone, and you don't see the path to connecting to people. Maybe because of isolation that you went through with COVID or you just got cut off from the people who you love the most and you need to hear God's gentle whisper say, what are you doing here? In that whisper, you will hear him say that he's not angry, that he knows that you're angry, he knows that you're confused, he knows you're bitter, he knows you're hurting, but he doesn't want you to stay there. He wants to lead you to a different place. I want to lead you to a place of love and grace and purpose. We all need to hear that gentle whisper. What are you doing here? So that we can get to the there that he wants us to get to. And in that whisper, you will hear the power of his promise and his purpose and his hope and his healing in your life. Our God is powerfully gentle. And when you start to see this, really see it, it becomes very obvious that God's definition of gentleness and our definition of gentleness are two totally different things. The meaning of the word gentle in the Bible is very different. It literally means power 
under control. The literal meaning of the word gentleness, power under control. Jesus called himself gentle, but he could calm a storm with a word. He cleared out the temple of the money changers than when they were taking advantage of people. He constantly challenged his disciples, personally challenged them to grow. He was anything but tame and cautious and weak, anything but a plain ice person, but he was gentle. So gentle doesn't mean quiet. Gentle doesn't mean swallow your anger. It doesn't mean that you let other people run your life. Gentle means power under control. I want to give you a couple pictures, a couple visual pictures here, because to some of us, and even to me, not that long ago, this was very new of what the definition of gentleness meant. And I think these pictures will help. This is a picture of gentleness. It's power under control. If it's out of control, that much explosive power would just destroy the rocket and probably everything around it. It's happened before. But under control, it sends a rocket all the way into space and out of the Earth's gravity. Let me give you another example, one you're very familiar with, one you see every day, a plug. This outlet, this plug, gives us electricity, but it's power under control. And you and I benefit from it. You benefit from it every single day of your life. Electricity power out of control, think of a lightning bolt, can destroy, can kill, can destroy a tree, start forest fires, kill people. But under control, electricity blesses our life every day. Power under control. And here's why this is important. You have more power than you could possibly ever imagine. You may feel weak, feel like you have nothing to offer, but God created you and he made you. And he invested into you a kind of power that I don't believe you fully realize. There's power in your words, more than you know. There's power in your ideas, there's power in your sexuality, there's power in your habits, there's power in your thoughts. There's power in how God has made you, and out of control, that power can destroy. But under control, that power can bless everyone around you. So the way I see it is you have three choices when it comes to living with control. First, you can live an out-of-control life. The second, you can live an in-control life. Or you can live an under-controlled life. Okay, so I think most of us understand the out of control life, the life that's marked by anger and undisciplined life. It's like an explosion. It's got destructive power and the life, it destroys you and it destroys everyone around you. It's out of control. But the in control life, that's where most of us are. The control life, like I got it all together. I'm keeping it all packed inside. It's all in control. It's this nice little life that a lot of us are trying to hold on to with all of our strength and all of our tension to keep it together. And even though if it's sort of working for you, there's something that says that there's got to be more to life than this. That constant tension, that constant fear, the constant feeling that it's gonna all fall apart. That's the controlled life. And unfortunately, I've met many Christians that live in that. Followers of Christ. 
And that's the kind of life they're trying to live. And they're wondering where's the joy and where's the peace and where's the satisfaction that life is supposed to be under God's grace. You don't need to live an in-your-control life. There's a different kind of life. It's not out of control. It's not in control. But it's under control. It's under God's control. That's where the peace comes from. That's where the strength comes from. And God made you to live under his control. That's true gentleness. In 2 Timothy 1.7, it says this, For God gave us a spirit, not, a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Power, love, self-control. Pretty good definitions of what real gentleness looks like. Power under control. In Psalm 1835, when speaking of God, it says, You have given me the shield of your salvation, and your right hand supported me, and your gentleness made me great. Gentleness is the secret to greatness in your life. Gentleness is the secret to greatness in your relationships. I'm not talking about gentleness today, some like nice, sweet little sermon. We're talking about gentleness that is greatness. You want to have a great relationship? You want to be a great husband, a great wife, a great dad, a great mom? You want to be a great friend? It takes the power of gentleness to do that. And it's true in all areas. If you want to be a great leader, a great worker, you want to make an impact in your community, on your world, and not just for the time here, but in the, in, on the time on this planet, in this world, but in eternity and inherit the earth kind of impact. It takes power of gentleness in our lives. A new kind of power that you and I can tie into. But how do we tie into it? What does it mean? How does it work? Well, I want to focus on what it can do to our relationships because I think we underestimate the importance of relationships, the power in hospitality and in kindness. And there's four specific ways that we can have tremendous power of gentleness that can change our relationships and impact you, the people around you, and the kingdom. So I think most of you can agree with me that the world is becoming more and more harsh. I think we can all agree with that. And not just online, but even more and more in personal conversations as well. Well, who's going to change that? You're going to change that. You can change that in your home. You can change that in your workplace. You can change that as people of God in your, in your culture. We don't just put up with the world and its harshness. We need to change the world that is more harsh. And we can do this through this power of gentleness. So the four specific ways that I want to talk about. Under God's power, of course, to express this power of gentleness in our lives. The very first one. And these are going to take your relationships from bad to better or from good to great or from great to spectacular. Whatever level you're at. The first one. Speak gently to those who confront you. When someone confronts you, you choose to speak gently. And if you want to see if you're able to do that, just have somebody disagree with you, meet you with some confrontational words, somebody push your buttons, or just someone you just don't like. You're going to see how you and I all struggle with the thing of gentleness in our life. 
Because it isn't easy to speak gentle to those who confront you. It's much easier to the people we like and get along with and agree with everything that we say. So have you ever experienced something like this? You're looking forward to an evening at home. You're just going to hang out together and maybe watch some TV later, just relax. It's going to be so great. And all of a sudden, somebody says, and it just, some, somebody says something, and it just sort of sets the other person off. Right? And then that person says something, and it just sort of sets that person off. Then all of a sudden, this quiet, sweet little evening at home is kind of on this down escalator of communication. You know what I'm talking about, right, in some shape or form. You think, how in the world did we get here? This was supposed to be a good night. Like, why are we here? What are we doing here? In Proverbs 17, 14, describing this, it says, starting a quarrel is like opening a floodgate. So stop before the argument gets out of control. This out-of-control argument, how do we break the cycle, break the down escalator of communication? How do you stop it? Well... This is a really good verse to know. Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So it starts with you. A gentle answer can have an effect on everyone around you. It turns away wrath. It turns away anger. So we exchange harsh words for gentle words. But you can be harsh and quiet at the same time. Some of you are probably thinking, you know, I'm really in control of my emotions. Like, I don't really get that angry. So you think you're always gentle. No, you're probably just quiet. For example, if I'm in an argument with Dustin, no, let's not call it an argument. Let's call it a creative conversation. You know what I'm talking about, right? And I'm not liking the direction that our conversation is going. I have one single word that I love to use. I usually say it very quietly. I'm very in control. I'm sure nobody else has ever used this word here. I'm just ready to shut it down, and I say, fine. And that's it. I don't walk out of the room. It's in control, but it's harsh. It's not gentle. The truth of the matter is, gentleness means humility. It means not assigning blame or thinking one's right over the other and just to start expect, accepting responsibility for your role in that conversation. It means you're able to say in a conversation some of the most difficult words. You were right. Or even harder, I was wrong. You need to get to a place in these conversations that you can think, okay, I might be wrong. Could I be wrong? Does, does this even really matter? Being able to admit that and say that can change everything. Now, many of you, as I'm talking about gentle words, are probably thinking this will not work for whoever just came to your mind. Whether that's your spouse, your friends, your parents, your coworker. They're just too hard-headed. There is no way that this is going to work. Well, I've got a verse for that, too. Proverbs 25:15 says, A gentle word can get through to the hard-headed. Yes, keep laughing, Elder Dawn. The louder we shout, the more we push people away. We all know this, right? But it's just so hard to practice it. If you speak loudly and harshly, it pushes people away. It raises their defenses. But if you speak gently 
and humbly, it brings in people close to you, like God did with Elijah in the cave. So here's another psalm I want to show you that I have turned into a personal prayer. I advise you writing it down. It will come in handy. In Psalm 141.3, Lord, help me control my tongue. Help me be careful about what I say. You know when you're struggling with anger or a difficult conversation, all the self-help people like to tell you to count to ten? And I think that's a good idea because it sort of lets you calm down for a second, take a beat, right? But I want to give you what I think is some better, better advice that I actually read in a devotion this week. Instead of counting to ten, count to one, four, one, three, right? Psalm one, four, one. 3, 141.3. Memorize a verse. Put it in your mind. Run it through your head. And in that moment, you need to calm yourself down to be able to share gentle words so you speak gently to those who confront you. You'll change your relationships if you do this. Like, just try it out. And you'll change the world around you as well. Our second choice when it comes to being gently powerful, you bless those who insult you. Yep, I said that right. You bless those who insult you. Like, are you crazy? Why would I do that? Now, Jesus said a lot of things that make me scratch my head at times, okay? Like, what in the world was he talking about? Why was he saying this? And I think running in one of the top five of the craziest things I think he said was in Matthew 5, 39. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn To him, the other cheek also. What's he talking about? Well, there's lots of context that goes with this scripture, but a slap on the cheek was an insult. To slap someone on the cheek was an insult to them. And when Jesus said, turn the other cheek, he was talking about having the strength to say no to the impulse to get somebody back when they insult you. And I will just say, just it's worth it in this, just this quick moment here to say what Jesus isn't saying. Because I've heard it preached this way. He isn't saying to let somebody abuse you. He isn't talking about that. He's talking about an insult. If somebody is abusing you, you don't turn the other cheek. You get to a place of safety as quickly as you can. That's not what he's saying here. But he's talking about an insult. And people insult you all the time. Our world is filled with people who insult you. They do it online. They do it in person. They do it with their car horns. There is all kinds of ways that you feel insulted all the time. And they insult you to basically gain control over you. That's why people do it. If they can make you mad, they're in charge. They're in charge of your emotions, in charge of your feelings. They gain control over you. So then we slap back. We think, okay, I'm going to gain control over them. And Jesus is saying here, why don't you just let God be in control? Instead of it being about you and that other person, let God take it. That's what turning the other cheek does. God takes control. He is more powerful. He is stronger. Keep God in charge. Instead of going ballistic and planning some retaliation, you treat the insult for what it is. It's an insult. There are so many insults online and in social media. People trying to gain control, feel better about themselves. Just trying to get a reaction, any kind of reaction. But I really think in this case, the best thing is to do nothing at all. 
Just don't say anything. Oh, but I got to say something back. No, just don't say anything back. And it goes further. Bless those who insult you and look for an opportunity to give them a blessing. That's power under control, this gentle response, right? A gentle response uh, to an insult is actually found in 1 Peter 3, 9. Listen to how clear it is in this verse. Don't retaliate when people say unkind things about you. Instead, pay them back. Pay them back with a blessing. That is what God wants you to do, and he will bless you for it. You want God's blessing in your life? Pay back the people who insult you. Pay them back with a blessing. That's not our usual, like, that's not our common idea of payback, but it's God's idea of payback. And when the Bible talks about paying them back with a blessing, it's also very specific about the kind of blessing you can pay them back with. In Luke 6, 28, it says this, pray for those who insult you. You pray for those who insult you. So if I'm going to make that practical, I'm sure somebody in this room can think of somebody that insulted you this week, or recently, or in the past. And their name is maybe in your mind right now, or it has been the whole time I'm talking. Pray for them right now. Right now, in your head, in your heart, just pray for God's blessing over their life, God's grace, God's peace, God's kindness. Just do it right now in this exact moment. And number three, the power of God's gentleness will cause us to be able to, number three, forgive those who offend you. This is a big one. This is a huge one. And maybe the toughest. Look with me with Colossians 3.13. You must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Now, you'll notice that word must comes up twice in that verse. You must make allowance. You must forgive. Is God trying to make us feel guilty about not forgiving? Trying to shame us? No. It's just it's that important. He's trying to love you. To let you know if you don't forgive, it's going to tear you apart up inside. If you don't forgive, it's going to take away your peace and your joy. And I think most of us realize that unforgiveness hurts us more than the person that you're not forgiving. Most of the time, they don't even know that we haven't forgiven them. And it's eating up you inside, that grudge we have. But where do you find the strength? Even though you know you're supposed to forgive, where do you find the strength to forgive? Well, if you have your Bibles out, I would encourage you to circle the word, underline, highlight the word remember. Over and over and over again. Remember the Lord forgave you. I don't know about you, but the only place I've ever been able to find the strength to forgive is by remembering that Jesus has forgiven me. When I think about the fact that he stretched out his arms on that cross and he gave his life so that my sins could be paid for, it gives me the strength to forgive someone else. And when you think about the fact that he stretched out those arms, he gave his life for you, paid the price for your sins to forgive you, it gives you the strength to say, God, I forgive you. Or I forgive them. So when you're offended, 
when you're rejected, when you're hurt, you choose. You choose to remember and say, I forgive them. Now, the truth is, I really don't know any more powerful expression. I probably could have just talked about this for gentleness. But the most powerful expression of forgiveness and gentleness is Jesus dying on the cross. And looking down at the people, remember he's God in human flesh, the people he created right in front of him as he's on the cross, looking down at the people he created who put him there, who are now mocking him while he's giving himself for their sins. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I think that's when Jesus was the most gentle. When Jesus showed his gentleness in a lot of ways, he showed it when he took a child on his lap and said, you need to be like this child to inherit the kingdom. He showed it when he touched a leopard, when no one else would even go close to them, showed him love and brought healing to that man. But I don't know if there's any greater picture of God's gentleness, Jesus' gentleness, than on the cross. When he was able to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing to those who were killing him in that moment and mocking him. In 1 Peter 2, 23, it says this. They called him every name in the book, and he said nothing back. He suffered in silence, content to let God set things right. Content to let, yeah. I want to encourage you to also circle this word, these words. Let God. Or write them down. Burn them in your head. Let us, right? The let series. Let us. This is how we do it. We let God. Because when we talk about forgiveness, that's really the issue. I'm not going to take it into my hands. I'm going to make sure I make it right by holding on to it and taking some kind of revenge. Or am I going to let God? Let it go to God. Leave room for God and let God take care of it. I'm not saying it didn't hurt. I'm not saying it wasn't wrong. I'm not saying it wasn't fair. I'm just saying I'm not holding it to myself to make it right. I'm going to let God make it right. And I don't know of any other issue where my three ways of controlling your life become any more clear in forgiveness. Because when your bitterness is out of control, you act to hurt those who are around you, and you end up hurting yourself. Happens every time. When your bitterness is in control, or your unforgiveness is in control, and that's where most of us are, You're not out of control, but you've got this unforgiveness that's in control. You're not telling anybody about it. It's just all locked up inside. It's eating you away little by little. And you wonder where the joy is, where's the peace, because you're in control. You've got it all under control. It's only under God's control that I can find the strength to forgive. Because I realize I can trust God with it. I can trust him. So who do you need to forgive? That word, remember. Who needed tonight to remember that Jesus died on the cross for you in order for you to have that strength to forgive that person? For some of us, it means remembering again. This word, remembering, you don't just do it once and you're done. 
Sometimes it's several times in one day. I remember again, Lord. Okay, I remember again. I'm letting it go. I'm letting it go. And you do it again, and you do it again, and you do it again. But for some of us, there's a first time. The first time when you need to say, I forgive somebody. And maybe that's some of you here today. And maybe you will walk away from here, or even in this moment, take those courageous steps of faith, and for the first time, be able to say, I forgive whoever of the hurt in your past. You're not saying that it was okay. You're not saying that it didn't hurt. You're just saying that you trust God and you're giving it to God. And something about looking at these verses tonight, maybe has even triggered you to think, okay, yes, Jesus forgave me. And God might be giving you this freedom in your heart right now. And if that's the case, like, it's not your strength that's going to do this. It's going to be under God's power to do that. If that's you, if it's right now, just like I said before, you don't have to wait till you have some quiet time alone. If the strength is with you right now, do it now. Say it in your heart. Say it in your mind. I forgive them. I forgive them. I forgive them. The freedom and the grace and the blessing that will flow from your life, from that very difficult prayer or decision, is beyond what you can see. And the power of God's gentleness gives us strength to do that. And the last one, number four, which is a good one because it's a fun one, so it's great to end on this one. Encourage those who need you. Well, who needs you? Everybody, of course. Everybody needs encouragement, everyone around you. And one of the ways we can express the power of God's gentleness in our lives is by gently encouraging one another, lovingly and gracefully encouraging people around you. But let me encourage you to look to somebody that maybe most people wouldn't encourage. Look for someone that you're not going to get anything from by doing it. You're just doing it because they need it. In 1 Thessalonians 5.14, it talks about this, and it says, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and destructive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. I'm guessing that each of us know somebody who is disheartened. <laughs> There's a lot of disheartened people in our world. Encourage them. Maybe someone's being put in your mind right now. He did that for a reason. Encourage them today. Encourage them this week. Even though no one else may think of encourage them, you do it. Encourage the disheartened and the weak. And let me give you an even harder one. From the verse at this beginning, it says, warn the idle and disruptive. The Greek word for warn there literally means gently warn. So not harshly warn. Gently warn those who are idle and disruptive. So you've got people that are doing, aren't doing anything. You've got some people who are disruptive in your life. Encourage them. That's the tougher one. There's somebody in your life that they're doing everything they can to push you away and to push every button. They need encouragement. Would you ask for God to give you the strength and the courage to do that? Because that's hard. And I'm going to tell you, they're probably not going to thank you for it today. You know, if they're pushing you away and you encourage them, you may not get the best results back right now. You might not get any warm fuzzies back. They could ignore you. But maybe a year from now, maybe two years from now, 
They're going to look at you and they're going to say, you know, when I was at my worst, you were the one person who showed up and kept loving me and didn't give up on me. Who could that be that's around you? Have the courage to encourage them. Not so it makes you feel better or that you gain something from it, but because you know God wants to use it in their lives. Encourage the disheartened. Encourage the disruptive. It seems the last couple of months, and I just want to give some encouragement myself here. The last, actually, no, I'd probably say the last four weeks or so. Every time I've had a conversation with somebody, they start telling me about how God's worked in their lives, but each of their story will begin with something like this. You know, 10 years ago, me and you had this conversation about whatever was going on, and now 10 years later, God summoned something new in their life. They've got a, a new peace, a new grace, a new solution for the problem. And then another conversation I had yesterday, actually. You know, five years ago, we had a conversation, and you've been praying for me, and now five years later, God's made a difference. And for some of you in the midst of problems, it's not going to take a month to solve. It's not going to take a few weeks or days to solve or to heal. It may be a problem that's going to stretch out for years. But all of those people, everyone, told me that God was with them through the dark times. Every one of them. That God was there even through those years. God patiently and lovingly guided them to this new place. So even if you're staring down and it looks like it's going to be years in the solution, God is going to be there through those years in, those solution, in that solution. He's not going to give up on you. He's not going to fail you. He's not going to forsake you. God can bring hope out of even the most impossible circumstance. So if you're in one of those circumstances, let me just encourage you, keep trusting God. Keep knowing that he will walk with you. Don't do it alone. Why would you do it alone? Trust him to walk you through what you're going through right now. So the Bible says you encourage those who need you, and the Bible tells us some specific ways of how to do that. I don't know about you, but when I usually encourage people, I usually more spontaneous. I'll see somebody doing something good, and so I walk over, and I'm like, good job, way to go, yay. Or I get a name in my head or my heart when I'm praying, and so then I write it down, or I send them a text, I send them a note, whatever that looks like. But see, in the Bible, it actually tells us to plan our encouragement. In Hebrews 10, 24, it says, Think of ways to encourage one another to outbursts of love and good deeds. So how can you be thinking of ways to encourage people? Like, what prompts can you build into your life today so you could do this? Because the power of encouragement is an incredible power. It changes you and it changes the people that are in your life. The power of encouragement. So now I'm closing with just three verses that I think are important because I'm guessing if you're anything like me, you're thinking, I'm never going to be able to do this. There is no way, like maybe one day, and then the next day you seem to ruin it. Like, how am I going to be this gentle and kind person? Well, here is your hope and your encouragement. Galatians 5, 22 to 23 says this. But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives... He will produce this kind of fruit in us. 
Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, there's gentleness, and self-control. So you know what this is saying? This doesn't come natural. Gentleness is not a personality trait. Gentleness is not how loudly you talk or how quietly you talk. Gentleness is a fruit of the work of God's spirit in our life. So if you're a follower of Jesus, and if you're not, why wouldn't you be? He loves you like so, so, so much. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's working right now to produce this fruit in your life. It's not something that you can do on your own. That's where the hope is for me. It's something that God's working to do in my life. Gentleness is a fruit that grows and develops in our lives. And it will grow the rest of your life through your life as you trust him. When I'm out of control and I'm, I'm selfish, when I'm in control, I'm self-centered. But under control, I have the freedom to selflessly give myself to others through love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness. You see, in the end, it is a control issue. It's a decision. Am I going to let Jesus Christ into the driver's seat of my life? And now, many of you might say, well, yes, but could I have, like, one of those driver's ed vehicles where there's, like, a brake on my side? Right? Because then at least if I have the brake on my side, uh, he can steer all he wants. But when I want to stop, I can stop. When I want to slow down, I can slow down. I can just stop on the brakes. Pick it up again later. No. That does not mean that Jesus is in control. It means you put him in the driver's seat, and he's going to take you where he wants to take you. And he's going to do things in your life that you could never imagine him doing in your life. He's not just taking you on some scenic, fun route. He's taking you into the life that you could never imagine on your own. That's what happens when you put him in control. Now, maybe you're like me when I say, okay, Jesus, you can drive my car, even though it's a new car. You can drive my car. But then you go to sleep, and you wake up in the morning, and you go out to your car, and I get in the driver's seat. Because it's like just habit for me to immediately get into the driver's seat. And Jesus is just like standing outside my car. Like, I think that's my seat. I'm like, okay, sorry, Jesus. I get back out, go back in. He takes the wheel again. And then the next morning, I do the same thing. If that's you, you're like me. This thing of putting him in control. I have to do it again and again and again and again. It's a daily decision for me every single day. It's a control issue, this decision to put him in control. And Jesus talked about this. Matthew eleven twenty nine. take my yoke. So here, like, my yoke is putting him in the driver's seat. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. You put Jesus in the driver's seat, and he's, gonna, he's not going to drive you to despair. He's not going to drive you to exhaustion. Your life is not going to suck because you let him lead the way. He's not going to drive you to a life that you never wanted. When you put him in the driver's seat, he's going to steer you into the hope and the grace and the purpose and the life that he made for you. Now, this thing of gentleness, I think, is tough 
when we've talked about these four areas. And I don't want you to leave discouraged today thinking like, oh my goodness, like how am I going to do everything that she said? So let me just say a few things. First, I would focus on progress, not perfection. So don't try to be perfectly gentle this week. Just try to find one circumstance where you can be more gentle than you were maybe last week. And two, get practical. Choose one of them. Choose one of them that we talked about of these four things. Just choose one that maybe God needs to work in your life, maybe one that he's bringing to your heart. You can't do four things at once, but you can do one thing at once. And the final verse is exactly where we began. Philippians 4, verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Why does it say the Lord is near? Because it says that God's in charge and he is here. He is here. He's got this handled. If I don't have to be in control, if I don't have to handle it, then the powerful, gentle, then I can be powerfully gentle towards others because it's not in my hands. It's in his hands. And I can act out the character of gentleness that he puts in my heart through his spirit. Let your life be marked by gentleness. Let God take over. Let the spirit lead you so you can let your gentleness be evident to all. If you're a Jesus follower, he should influence your life. But sadly, most often, we don't see Jesus' characteristics in our world. But as Christians, we should stand out in the world. And our gentleness should stand out like a light, like a spotlight that makes no sense in this dark world. We have the power through our spirit to act like not everybody else. So let your gentleness be evident to all. Will you stand with me? So before I pray and we go into a time of worship, I just want everyone to have their eyes closed, head down. Don't look around the room. Pretend it's only you. You don't need to worry about what anyone else is doing. If you have never put Jesus in the driver's seat of your car, like if you have never done this before, or it's been a really long time, you've never trusted in his forgiveness, you've never trusted him, never said yes to him, I'm going to encourage you to do that right now. So with no one looking, with heads down, eyes closed, if that's you, raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. 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 Let's all say this together, whether you rose your hand or not. Jesus, I trust you. I trust you to lead us, to guide my life, and we choose today to put you in the driver's seat. I trust you to forgive the wrongs that I have done. And I thank you for dying for me. I trust you. Amen. Amen. And now I'll just close in prayer. Lord, I just thank you so much for this church. Your church that we've got the honor and the pleasure 
and the privilege to walk into and to say your name out loud. I'm sure you're speaking to hearts tonight from something. Let them hear those gentle whispers, Father. Lord, we want to be more gentle, whether it's in our thoughts, in our work, in our actions, and we struggle. But by your power, I know we can change, Father. That's why you're here. That's why we're praying. That's why we trust you, why we believe in you. We want to be more like you. So, Father, stir our hearts, soften our hearts, so we can just let you, let you take over. Instead of being so frustrated all the time, we choose right now to ask you to change us, make us thirst and hunger for you, for your word, Lord, so that we seek you daily, hourly, whatever needs to be to guide us and to find answers. And I thank you, Jesus, that you are the ultimate example. Thank you for dying on the cross for us. Thank you for being powerfully gentle with us. Help us bring this character of gentleness, Father, into our hearts and into our lives and into our relationships. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. I ask this all in the faith and the belief in Jesus Christ. Amen.